0: Again, And um, I hope you're having a, having a good morning. Um, and I hope your morning has gone great. I hope your week has gone great. If it hasn't, um, well, I'm praying that this week will go even better than, than last week. So, so that's, that's what we're doing. Um, if you haven't registered your child for uh, Summer Spectacular, you can come tonight about 6.30, I'd be a little bit early, and go to the registration line and sign them in there, and they'll have a great time and um, are you you trying to say something about my preaching on the back on the back wall that is a huge clock I mean what what is going on here didn't change it just has that clock for me just totally sign from it just totally counting down there that's that's incredible yeah that doesn't help me at all yeah Maybe we'll get out early, Jimmy. Maybe, maybe that will be like, there's so much pressure this morning for that. Okay. We're currently in a series called Arise, and it's on, it's in Psalm chapter 68. And so what I'd like to do this morning, just pray, and then we will um, get into the text. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you that you're a God of salvation and a God of power. And we're thankful for Psalm 68. We just pray this morning that as we look into it, that your word will speak to our hearts and challenge us in ways that we haven't been challenged before and maybe re-challenge us in some ways where we need to be rechallenged. And so we leave all that into your hands. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm chapter 68. Psalm chapter 68. Psalm 68. And um, we're going to start reading with verse 14, 15. We're going to start reading with verse 15. Get these things on here. So here we go. It says this. O mountain of God, mountain of Basham. O many peak mountain, mountain of Basham. Why do you look on with hatred, O oh, many-peak mountain, at the mountain that God desires for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah, music interlude. Right? Now we're back. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies and, cra- and the hairy crown of him who walks in guilty ways. So God's going to strike the heads of his enemies the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. This is good news for bald people. Just mark that. That could be your life verse right there. Doesn't seem like God's going to strike you. So that's good. Verse 22, the Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. All right. I, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook, as most of you are. Some of you aren't, but that's okay, because it's not mandatory. Um, but nonetheless, I'm on Facebook. And there's, there's a few of my friends, and I'm just going to let out a secret, and if they're watching this, they're watching this. But there's a few, a few of the friends I have that from time to time, I just kind of get tired of what they're posting. You know what I mean? So I snooze them for 30 days, right? There's one friend of mine that for the past year, her 30 days gets up and I snooze her again. Her 30 days gets up and I snooze her again. I just don't need all the negative stuff in my feed. Do you know what I mean? I just don't need all that. I, I like to check on people that go, go to the church, see how they're doing, see what they're doing, see the pictures they're having at the beach, and I'm not there, and they didn't invite their pastor, that sort of deal. I want to be kind of envious in a kind of comical way, but at the same time, I just don't, there's some things that I don't want to see. The problem is, um, <clears throat> she, she, I guess, that's going to limit, that's going to be about half of my thing, but nonetheless, she, she comes back up, and even though I hide her, she comes back up and I hide her and she comes back up right and so so you, you can you can hide her but then 30 days later you come back up now you might say well how don't you unfriend her and I don't know I just don't want to unfriend her I, I don't want to do that I'm not trying to be that harsh um and she's not you know she's still a friend I just don't want to see the junk are you are you with me and it seems like when you hide people, they just come back. Or if, if, if people run and they hide, they, they always come back. If you hide, you're just waiting for the opportune moment to come back. Okay, that's my point. So hold that in your, in your head a few minutes. Now, what we just read is set up in a particular uh, poetical sort of way, okay? It, it is basically this right here. It, it has an A section and then it has a B section And then the poem we just read has a C section, and then right square in the middle is a D. And once you get right to the middle of it, uh, you have another C section. That sounds like somebody's having a baby. Uh, You have a B section, and then you have an A section, okay? And so A and A, I don't know if you remember this from school, corresponds to each other. And B and B corresponds to each other. And then C and C corresponds to each other. And they all kind of revolve around whatever D is saying. In the very middle of this passage of Scripture, it says these words, and it's found in verse 19, the last half of 19. God is our salvation. Then, right in that D section also, is our God is a God of salvation. So spinning around this whole section of this particular psalm, right in this section, is this concept that our God is our salvation, and God is a God of salvation. Then you go to these two seeds right here, and they're kind of small. They're also in 19 and 20. Check this out. It says this, blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, or bears us up. It would be like if, if I'm trying to move this chair and the Lord comes alongside of me and he puts his hand on it and lifts it up for me. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a, um, I think it's a 10-foot ladder. Is there a 10-foot ladder? Yeah. 10-foot ladder. I'm spatially challenged. It could have been 12 feet. 10-foot ladder that's out in the shed. There's two of them, actually. There's an aluminum one that's really light, But the one that you really want to be on, if you're me, is the heavy one. Every time I take that out, because I'm a wimp, I guess, I have to ask for help with it. I I cannot manage it. In fact, if you ever see me carrying it on my own to the church, it's more like this. Right? To try to get it there. And there's like a 10-foot spread right here, right? And I always need need help with that. This little lift us up, bearing our burdens, is that God is saying here that, um, verse 19, blessed be the Lord who daily bears up our burden. Now, burden is singular. Burden. So it's not burdens. But daily is plural. Interesting. Hold on to that one. Verse 20 completes this little C thing on the other side, and it says this, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. So you can read it like this. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up, or bears our burdens, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. Death is singular. So you have these deliverances happening. So we have a God who's a God of salvation, and we have a God that seamlessly carries some burden for us, to help us with and then you have a God who delivers us from death now some for some of you it's in your vehicle every time you get into it he delivers you from death and some of you are sitting next to the person that you know that God delivers them from death with their driving okay is that better right you just know that for some of you it, it's, it's different sort of things God constantly delivers us from from death. Now, let me tell you this. These two C's and this D is in the present time. When we get to the B and the two A's in this passage, it's talking about a future event. A future event. So, look at verse 17 and 18. This is the first B on the side. It says this. The chariots of God are twice 10,000. Now, let me stop here. That word chariots... Is singular in the Hebrew it's not plural so really that should say the chariot of God and then tens of thousands is what it should say it would basically be this picture I know it's a little grainy but this picture this would be one person just God here and he would be leading quote-unquote thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of some type of an army. An army that may have chariots, that may not have chariots. But here in this passage, it is God who has the chariot and it's God who's leading this magnificent army. So the chariot of God in in this passage, verse 17, the chariot of God is twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. Now, nobody understands the math here, not even me. It is so, it's so different. We don't know what that means. Some people say it's 400 trillion. Some people th- say it's 400 million, 100 billion. It's all, it's all over the map. The point of this is God is in a chariot and he's leading a huge army. We're not sure, basically in the background yet anyway, what that army consists of. Does it consist of angels or does it consist of believers or does it consist of both? So here's a chariot of God. And he's, he's leading thousands upon thousands. And the Lord, that word there is Adonai, is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Okay? So you have the Lord, Adonai, who is among them. So you have basically two representations of the Trinity here. You have God the Father who's in the chariot. And you have Adonai who's among the people that are battling and his name is Adonai. By the way, a, a kind of an interesting, interesting biblical trivia thing. Within um, verses 15 through 23, the name God is referred to 14 times with five different names. It's crazy how that is. And God, Adonai, it says here, is in the midst of them. Um, that's what it says. So, the Lord is among them. Then we get to 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts from among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Right? So, David picked this psalm. You could say he wrote it, and I wouldn't argue with you at all. But but David picked this song, and when he sees this, he's looking at it like a king. When you went and you conquered a land... You would take captives back to the city, captive, that's the enemy, and you would walk into the city and they would be behind you as kind of trophies, in a way. So when it says here that um, he has led captivity captive here, you're leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, what that means is he's been victorious over these captives, that's the enemy, and he's giving gifts to people. Well, what are these gifts? And he's receiving gifts from people. That's a tribute because he has, he has won something is, is what that is. Now, 17 and 18 correspond to 21, which says this. But God will strike the heads of his enemies and the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. Now, I know this is a lot, but I want you to hang with me and then I'm going to make a point, okay? In this passage... But God will strike the heads is not a, singular, is not a plural, plural word. It's singular. It says God will strike the head of his enemies. It's possessive. So not only, go back to the, not only does God is God in a chariot and there's a myriad of army type people behind him, there's another army. And that army has a head. And behind him, is a whole nother host of people, and demons, that are battling God. So when it says in 19, um, I mean in 21, but God will strike the head of his enemy, it is talking about striking the head of Satan. Now that goes back to Genesis. I will bruise the serpent's head. And here... God, in his chariot, is striking the head of the enemy army, and then the, the army that the enemy is lead, leading flees and scatters. Remember how this, this psalm arose, it started, it says God arises and his enemies, what, scatter? And they go hide in places, remember that? It's because he has wiped out their leader. They don't know what to do. But it's also because of the power of God, I'm not minimizing that. So that's, that's what's occurring. Verse 21, back there. The hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. That is a reference to Satan. So if you put all this together, it, it goes something like this. The chariot of God is leading twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary, Verse 21, but God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown, the head of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. You ascended after that battle on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts from among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. What does this mean? This means that Satan doesn't have a chance, and neither does his army. This means somewhere in the future and maybe in the past and probably in the present, God is victorious. God is victorious. He is a victorious God. So then you go back to this A thing, right? It says, O mountain of God, mountains of Bashan, verse 15, O many peak mountain, mountain of Bashan. Why do you look was so hatred on many peak mountain at the mountain of God desired for his abode yes where the Lord will dwell forever so here you have these mountains and these mountains it says it's a mountain of God because Bashan is God's mountain it's the first place that the children of Israel conquered when they came into to to the promised land and you have something in these mountains that is looking down on the victorious people of almighty God So when you match that up with the end, verse 22 of of Psalm chapter 68, the Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. That's the enemies, not his people. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. In other words, they have scattered and they've gone to the mountains to hide his enemies. They have scattered and they've gone to the sea to hide from God. But God here is saying, you cannot hide from me. There is no way that God's enemies ever get to hide and have another chance at it. There's no, there's no part in God's plan where God's enemies can go behind a curtain and stay there a while, and then at the opportune moment come out and regain ground. God already knows where they're hiding in the mountains. God already knows where they're hiding in the depths. He's going to go after them. He's going to grab them together. He's going to bring them together. And he's going to bring them to the people, his people, that are victorious and present them before him. In verse 23, it says this, that you, that's us, me and you, who are a part of this army may strike your feet in their blood. Now, I don't really want blood on my feet, but this is what is symbolism of of victory. And that the tongues of your dogs (laughs) may have their portion from the foe. By the way, dogs in this time period were not domesticated. They were wild, and and you feared them, much like I do now. Okay? But maybe at a different level, right? And if you know, I know there's conversations, and there can be um, debates and arguments, and I'm not going to get into all that, about what you should feed a dog. Like, we were talking about this yesterday in the fellowship hall. Should you feed them chocolate? Some people feed their dog chocolate, where they say you're not supposed to feed them chocolate, and then you're not supposed to feed them bananas, or you're not supposed to feed them carrots, or you're not supposed to feed them this. I just want everybody to know that um, I have a friend of mine that went hunting, and his dog ate all the innards out of a... um, a deer, and he survived. I'm just thinking maybe chocolate isn't that bad, is just what I'm saying. But we'll park that over here, because that's not even biblical. But here's the dogs coming up and and getting involved in this blood sort of thing, and it's all in the future. In fact, if you want to look it up, it's in Revelation chapter 14, where God's army comes down. And it says that the blood from that war goes up on the sides of the horses, and it's really, really thick. And the blood flowed from the wine presses as high as the horse's bridle. It's really, really high. The psalmist here is saying that the victory of God is complete. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the victory of God is complete. I want to tell you why this is important. Because sometimes I know if you're like me, sometimes I wonder about this whole victory thing. Right? It's not that I don't think that God's going to be victorious in the future, but is he really victorious now in the present? is, Is the life that I now have, is it really something that I'm living in victory each day? Or is the world just hiding and they're just buying their time to so they can gain ground the reason that you think this is because i don 't know if, if you watch the news if you if you see things going on in your community if you struggle with with some type of health issue if if there's just all these burdens that come on your life, you begin to wonder where is god 's power where is god 's victory if in the middle of this whole thing is God God bears our burden and, and, and God helps us through and he delivers us from many, many deaths that we could possibly have. Where, where is the, how do we li- live in victory when things in this current life seem to go so wrong? I might put it to you this way. There's some of us that, that we struggle with things in our lives. And, and we, we do good maybe for a couple of days. We do well. And then on the third, fourth day, we, we seem to be right back in our old ways, our old fleshly ways, our old fleshly desires, right? And, and then we step back and we ask forgiveness, but then we're like, Lord, I, I know you've given me the victory, but it really doesn't feel like I have the victory. Is the victory really complete right now? Is it, is it really done right now? Is there really a way for you and I to live in such a way that we live victorious lives? Not in the sense that we have prosperity and we have a bunch of money, but victorious over the, what so easily besets us as sinful. Or when trials come into our lives. Is, how do we view that and how do we live victorious in that. How do we do that? The victory, obviously, the writer is saying is complete, but sometimes you struggle to see that victory in your life. So I think, to kind of get a concept of what a victorious life looks like in Christ, because I'm here to tell you today, the victory's complete. It's done. It's over. Sealed. If you want to know where uh Satan's head was bruised. It was when Jesus did this and he nailed nails in his hands. And he bled and he died. When it was totally over, when it was completely over, it's when three days later, Jesus Christ walked out of a grave alive. Because death could not keep a hold on him. He was delivered from death. This means that you and I, if you want to know one of your deliverances, for you and I who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, death, is not a defeat for you and I. Death is just a step into a greater moment of living a victorious life. It is, it is a passageway into life like we can't even fathom or imagine. Death for a believer is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Now, I don't want you to go out and kill yourself. But that, That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there is no reason for a believer to fear death in that day. There's no reason at all, because we are victorious. So, let me read you this. Let me find it, because I got a little excited there. And sometimes I have to, okay. 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, there's a guy named Paul in the New Testament that understood Psalm 68 better than I do, and better than you do, and better than you will when you leave here today. However, we're going to go to his passage, and we're going to see what it looks like to live a victorious life. So go to Ephesians chapter 4. How to live in that victory. Ephesians chapter 4. By the way, do any of you play games as a family? You do? Yeah, we play games as a family. We play games as a family. And for all of the years that my kids have been playing with me, I warned them about their mother. We play this game, like for instance, we play this game called Settlers of the Catan, right? She can, you have to have 10 points to win. I'm not gonna explain the whole game. You have to have 10 points to win. She can have maybe four, maybe five points in the game, right? I can have eight. Aurora can have like nine. Quinn, he can have anywhere between three and, and somewhere in seven. And it looks like that Nicole is not going to win the game, but then in a matter of two turns, she somehow has figured out how to, got fi- how to get five points and win the game every single time. I'm not competitive, so I can't say I don't like that. Bugs me to no end. But here's the deal. Here's the deal with that. Why bring that up? I and you can live our life knowing we've already won and nobody's going to sneak up and take that victory from us. Come on, think about that. Nobody's going to take that victory from you. People talk all the time sometimes well, they talk I don't know all the time, that's probably it. Anyway, they talk all the time about losing their salvation and not and not having that anymore. I'm here to tell you that you don't lose your salvation. The main reason is because salvation didn't come by anything you did. It came by what Jesus did. He is the God of salvation, He's the one that gives it out. You don't lose your salvation. So even if you fail today, you're still saved because our God is a God of salvation and he doesn't let you go once he has you. That's good stuff. So Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, because Paul's in jail, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, either to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In other words, when Jesus Christ went into the grave and rose again, somewhere within that time frame, and maybe even after the 40 days, he totally conquered death and the grave and Satan led them captive before you to say they no longer have to have power over you because I have won victoriously and you can now live the life that I'm offering you to live. There is no going back. He led captive, a host of captives, captives, and gave gifts to men. So, based on the fact that you and I can live in victory... Paul is urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What have you been called to? To live a life that has been saved by Almighty God. To live that. That's your calling. God called you into salvation so you no longer had to live in death, but you can live in life. It's a great calling. A calling from God. You have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. I tell you, sometimes, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with emotions, because when, you, when you're when living a life of victory, you can still cry, you can still be concerned, you can still do all that, but some people, they... Stuff happens to them in this life. Somebody comes against them in this life. An enemy rears their head. They don't have a good day. And all of a sudden, where they were happy over here and living in victory, all of a sudden they're sitting over here in defeat and woe is me. You know what I'm saying? Something happens and all of a sudden God, God doesn't love me. Now I feel like T.D. Jakes. If you know who he is. All right, listen. There are things that happen in your life that sometimes people go from, like, living in victory to living in defeat. And when you live in defeat, oh, woe is me. I'm doomed. This is going to overtake me. This is the end of me. It's the moment that you've decided not to live in victory you've decided to live in defeat. Whatever comes your way, if you're living a life of victory and according to the call that salvation has placed on on you, is this. I know I've received this and I really don't feel good about it, but this is what I know. God has a purpose for this. He's the God of salvation. And the worst thing that could happen to me is that whoever it is that is against me could take my life. And for me, death is victory anyway. So I need to live the call of God in my life right now because he has a purpose for me to witness to somebody, to somebody I'm going to have in contact with, somebody that's going to see my faith that might get closer to Jesus as a result of whatever I'm going through. So if it's a a health issue, it's, well, I'm going to be able to connect with doctors. I'm going to be able to connect with people. I'm going to be able to talk to people that have gone through the same thing and give them hope. I'm going to be able to witness. I'm going to be able to um, live my call. Are you you tracking with me? And if it's something else, it's just something else. And when we do it, it says here, which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I want to talk to you this morning. How many of you do a great job at being humble? That's a great answer. How many of you think it's hard to be humble? Yeah, it's hard to be humble. Okay, but we're called to that. How many of you struggle... With being gentle. Yeah. Struggle, right? Would you say that trying to be humble or being humble, have a humble attitude, and being gentle is a burden for you? you say sometimes it's a burden? Yeah. Check this out Patience. How many of you sh- struggle with patience? And let me tell you something, when they put those two traffic circles down the road here, you're going to struggle with patience even more. There are people that stop at yield signs that they think they're stop signs, and when they get to the stop sign at 158, I guarantee you they're going to use that as a yield. It's just crazy how that happens. How many of you struggle? It's it's kind kind of a burden there, isn't it? And then you have bearing with one another in love. So we don't have to name the people, but we know those people that we bear, we have to bear with in our lives, right? We know those people. And it says here we have to bear with them in love. I would rather bear with them and then move to another state. That's how how I think that that should really work but there's people that, that you have to bear with love. And that is a struggle. It's a burden and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Is anybody in this room have, have like the key to holding unity in your marriage, in your family, in your church, at your job? Anybody, has anybody figured that out? Anybody at all in this room? Do you feel that holding unity in your job and at your work and at your place is a burden for you? Yes. To keep unity is is very very difficult and especially this bond of peace thing to keep the peace and then to kind of make matters worse and and make it even more of a burn this is what it says um, in verse 15 right after these these verses of victory rather speak in the truth in love We are to grow up in every way to him that is the head unto Christ. How many of you struggle with speaking truth in love? And you try to to speak some truth, but, but you have frustration inside of you, but you try to speak that it is a burden to do this. But here's what God says in Psalm chapter 68. He daily helps us with that burden. What is the burden? The burden of living life in him. It is tough to be humble. It is tough to be gentle. It is tough to be peaceable. It is tough to be loving. It is tough to bear with people and with love. It is tough tough, but God is there to help you do it. How much are you relying on God in your relationships, in your reaction to news in the world, in your reaction to this world in whatever degree it may be? How much are you relying on his power to lift that load so that you can live a victorious life? There are days now where I really And I'm not against the president. I don't care who's in office because I know what's coming. And I know I'm a guy of victory. There's a day coming that is better, and that day is already here. My job is not necessarily to try to solve all these problems that I can't solve or don't have the power to. My job is to live a victorious Christian life, and that is in humbleness, meekness, following Jesus the best way possible. And being the best man that I can be for him, and I do not do it alone. His power makes a difference in my life. Come on, church. So I don't, I don't know what you've been struggling with this week. It may have been a sin problem. It may be something that that you you get angry when you don't want to get angry, and you know you're not supposed to. You're supposed to be nicer to people and all that kind of stuff. And, you're, and you seem like you're failing I want to let you know this you don't have to fail because God will help you carry that burden and help you live the life that you're supposed to live if you struggle this week go back to Ephesians chapter 4 I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called why? because you're already victorious in this life And I feel like that's all I have. I feel like that's all I have. I um have a cousin that um it's my cousin anyway, he, he texted me the other day and he um he said he felt like just going somewhere and getting into a fight. That's what he that's what he said. So I encouraged him the best, the best way that I could to not do that, and he didn't. He's not saved and he knows it. This means that the next time that he gets this urge, he may go. He may go to a bar, get drunk, get into a fight, and then go home just a total wreck, right? But for you that have received Jesus Christ as your savior, All that stuff is dead to you because of the victory that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that Christians live a perfect life, but I am saying that Christians can live better than what they are doing right now. That's what I'm saying. And it's hard sometimes for me to be that frank. But there are things that we participate in that we should not be participating in because it's not about the victorious life. And we think that we just have to have this and we have to have that and we have to have this sort of life and we live over here all the while ignoring the complete victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm commending to you today to live in this life, in this victory because this is better than anything that the world has to offer. You just haven't tasted it yet. The moment that we struggle, we confess and we say, Lord I'm going to respond to my calling, and I'm going to live the right way as best as I can. And that is all that is required of us. Amen?